<laughs> when we first got married, we went to Ohio to spend the holiday with her family, sat around there till late one night, and we're heading back to the hotel. Wasn't paying attention. I was probably doing about 50 and a 35 miles on. Got pulled over. And as we're sitting there, I was like, Cherise, put your hands on the dashboard. And she was like, why? I was like, just put your hands on the dashboard. And she was like, I wanted to put my hands on it. And just at that point, the person, the officer on the, on her side, um, well, was I looked in the to, mirror. Yeah, was walking towards her with the, with the rifle. And I said, yeah, for me, this, yeah, this goes with the territory. So just don't make any sudden moves. And then as they're talking to me, she's like, uh-uh, don't talk to my husband. And I'm like, please, please. You are listening to Real Relationship Talk, a podcast helping married and pre-married couples build lasting love from above. Got problems? Let's solve them. Because real trials need real truth. Now it's time to get in the game with your relationship coach and host, Dana Shea. Friends, it's Dana Shea and you're listening to Real Relationship Talk. Thank you so much for being here today. I have my friends on the show, Early and Sharice Jackson, and the Jacksons have been married for almost 14 years, and they have such a cool marriage, y'all. Like, have you ever met a couple and you're like, they are just some cool people? And that is who Early and Sharice are. They are so different, but their dynamic just comes together and, and it just makes them just such a special, unique couple. I'm super, super excited to have them on the show today. We talked about all kinds of things, you guys. It was honestly hard for me to even title this podcast because we talked about what it is like to be married to a Black person behind the scenes. We talked about what it is like to be in a blended family. We talked a little bit about what is it like to be um, not joined at the hip but to be yourself in marriage and not feel any kind of shame about that. And then we talked about what is it like to raise Black kids in America. So it's so much content in this one particular episode. And I know that you guys are going to really enjoy Sharice and Early. And um, I just want to just say, for those of you guys, again, I feel like I have to make this disclaimer every single week. Uh, but for those of you who are non-Black, this episode is for you. If nothing else, it's going to help you to understand your Black friends better. It's going to maybe give you a peek into some of the struggles that we go through as Black people in this country. And this episode is certainly not meant to cause anyone to feel any kind of shame or embarrassment or guilt. We're simply sharing our stories. And so I hope that you guys know my heart. The whole uh, point premise behind me doing this whole Black Love series is really to celebrate Black marriage, to celebrate the Black family, to really put on display um, really healthy marriages and really healthy relationships, whereas society doesn't always do that. So without any further ado, I am super excited to introduce to you guys my friends, CEO of New Direction Coaching, Early Jackson, and his amazing, incredibly independent wife, Sharice, let's get into the conversation. Do you ever wonder what is the secret to a truly happy marriage? Maybe you find yourself looking at other couples wondering, what do they know that I don't? Well, friend, I have developed a free resource for you. It's a free audio called Seven Secrets to a Happy Marriage. These are some principles that I've learned in my own 23-year marriage that I know it's going to encourage you on your journey to having a truly happy and healthy marriage. Download your free resource today at realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash seven secrets. That's realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash seven secrets. Now let's get to our show. 
All right, my friends. Well, I have Early and Sharice Jackson here with us today on the podcast. Y'all, I'm so excited to have you officially as guests on our show. I have no idea what we're going to talk about today, but our conversations are always so great. So thank you, first and foremost, for being here today. Oh, thank it's you for pleasure. having us. Yeah. yeah, we're excited to be here. Let's do this. <laughs> let's do this. Let's do this. So we were just talking before we jumped in and we were y'all were saying like, let's just jump right in. So we're just going to jump in head first. You guys have been married for 13 and a half years. And this is not the first marriage for you early, is it? Or Sharice, no. one of you, tell us a little bit about your history. Okay, so when I met Sharice, I was just on the heels of a very tumultuous uh, you know, territorial uh, divorce that just left me in a, a really broken state. And the cool thing about it was she, we were in a circle of friends that just kind of hung out and they had kind of surrounded me. And that was my, my tribe, my community mm-hmm. that kind of helped me process some of the things. And then about a year or so later, we were all hanging out and I kind of looked over and I was like, huh, you know what? I just might go for that one, you know? <laughs> and um, and what's funny is it was not reciprocated Reciprocated at first. She was like, nah, I'm not going to, I wouldn't date a pastor because I was still pastoring at the time. And I was like, what? And she was like, nah, we could be cool, but I, I don't have any yeah. desire to be married to a pastor or anything like that. So, and she would not just date to date. She had a very intentional uh, prog- um, process and strategy for what who she wanted to be with and how she wanted to date. So y'all had to wait around for a little bit. So Sharice, what was going on in your mind when you're like, no, pastors are off limits? Did you have a bad like history with pastors or like what was uh, that? Yeah, do tell. <laughs> do tell. Yes. Well, do you tell. know, um, we were both we were both like in ministry, so we were both ministering and, and preaching, and that part of it was good. So I'm fine with him preaching. But I didn't want to be put into that typical black first lady role um, where you come in and everything is this, this, this and this. Or you can't do this or you can't do that because then you're going to make me look bad. You know, I didn't want it to be be put into a situation where I could not be Sharice. You know, um, I don't want to be first lady Jackson. I just want to be Sharice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I just was not interested in that. Um, And in the lifestyles of just, you know, um, leadership that I had seen from, you know, a pastor's wife and pastors, I just, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. And and if anybody knows Sharice Dana, they know that you kind of can't put her in in a box. (laughs) That doesn't work very well for her. You know, so (laughs) just saying, just throwing that out there. (laughs) No way. You mean you can't put boxes and limitations around Sharice Jackson? No. I know. I know. (laughs) That's that's interesting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, I'm a pastor, obviously, you guys have been pastors. So obviously, you ended up saying yes. But what had you seen, Sharice, that other than like, I don't want to be first lady, Sharice, I don't want to have these expectations of me. What else had you seen in the church specifically that made you shy away from even wanting to be married to a pastor or wanting that title specifically? Well, pastors, and let me, let me, let me, let me, I'm kind of, I guess, preface it with senior pastor versus just pastors. Like we were just pastors on staff at a church that might've been a little different, but the church that he was affiliated with probably wouldn't have been much different. (laughs) This was a church plant. (laughs) Yeah. So because, um, because he was the, he was the senior pastor and early and I have very different personalities. (gasps) I don't have, um, I don't have a lot of extra room in my baggage to care what you think. Um, Early has more room for that. 
So, <laughs> you know, it would just be, you know, well, okay, we can't do this or we can't do that or we can't go here or we can't go that, you know, go there because that's the typical um, pastoral role that I've seen. And, and, and for a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of growing up pastors just weren't as authentic as I would like. You know, I like mm-hmm. to be, I like to love Jesus, but I like to be real too. And so mm-hmm. I didn't see that model for the most part. It was just this picture that we, that's painted on the wall. You see these two perfect people, you know, and the, for the lady in the black church with the nice church hat on, you know, and <laughs> all right. of that. And, and that perfect, uh, that perfect ordeal was just not me. And she didn't yeah. own any church hats. I sure did. And she did. Well, well, that's a big deal. You know, that's a really big deal. Well, I know that you guys, well, you guys work with young people a lot. And I feel like that is changing. Like, I completely see what you're saying, Sharice, about kind of that stereotypical, this is how pastors have to act. and You have to be perfect and you're on display all the time. Do you guys see that in the church worldwide, like, or the church, big C church? Do you see that changing a little bit? And then how do you um, perceive, like, especially with the young adults that you work with, how are you able to marry the two? You said, you know, I love Jesus, but I want to be real. Can you be both? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think um, just to jump in, I think uh, somebody asked me this question last week. They said, do you feel like there's a rise of victim men- victim mentality and are people just more apt to be victims? And I said, actually, I see it in the reverse. I see it as finally an opportunity where there's space held where victims can speak out, right? Mm. So when I, when we talk about what's happening in the church, I think that what's what's going on right now is there is a wave of hunger for authenticity, not just the the church rigmarole. And, and the beautiful thing is this particular generation that we're we're ushering in now, they have very little patience for the for the um old you know, oh, old guard of, of things. Yeah. So they don't really want to deal exactly. With so I think that mm-hmm. um, what's changing is the hunger for authenticity and leadership, whatever that looks like. So, yeah, I feel like you can do both. And because I feel like we're in a season, I mean, it's not that it just started. It's just now um, kind of front and center on stage, but, and people hate the word, but we're in a season where a lot of people are deconstructing, you mm-hmm. know, um, and so in their deconstruction, it isn't that they don't love Jesus. They're deconstructing from all of those things and all of those rules and regulations and just ideologies that they had, what they thought Christianity was and what was presented to them as Christianity. Right. And so now in this season, I believe that it's absolutely necessary for you to love Jesus and be authentic if you're <laughs> going to be um, accepted or even be able to minister to this um, Gen Z generation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I think that's one of the things I really appreciate about y'all is that you do have a high profile in the church, but you are also yourselves. Like, I think when people see your relationship, they can see, they can tell that you genuinely love each other. You genuinely like spending time with each other. But I also see early, you're doing your own thing over here. And Sharice, you're doing your own thing over here. You guys are together a lot, but you're not like, you don't have this weird, like, we always have to be together and we don't allow each other to be who each other is. And I think that that speaks volumes, not only to young people, but really just to anybody who's looking at your relationship. The yeah. fact that you guys, yeah. I mean, the fact that you guys actually have a, a real relationship again, without 
um, without a lot of like the pretense. Yeah, we 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 aren't Siamese twins, you know. No. And I know that sometimes <laughs> that's how marriage is presented, but especially in the church. Yeah, especially in the church. But we yeah. we came into this with just our own, you know, our individuality. Did we merge? Yes, you know, we do merge to some degree, but. We came in with our own, you know, our own friends, our own whatever. And some of those friends have, you know, crossed. Overlap. Yeah. Yeah. Overlap between us. But we still have friends like I want. I think it's very important for early to do guy time. Go, go hang out with your, with your guy friends. I'm good. You know, we don't have to always go to everything and do everything together. But it's fun when we get to. Yeah. But it's not mandatory for us. I think one of the and this was early on in our marriage. Uh, we were going up into this interview. Uh, to record this thing. And we were standing at the uh, elevator. And whenever I do anything, I, I get all wound up. Dana. I get, I mean, I'm just like, I was all wound up for this. I, I just, I like to be wound up. I don't know. But um, so I'm standing there, I'm going over some things in my head and I look over and she's dancing. And I was like, really, do you have to do that right now? And she looked at me and said, well, I'm me. No, I said, why are you doing that right now? She said, I'm me and you're you. And this is what I do. And she just kept dancing. And I was like, Huh, you know what? That may make our marriage work really well. <laughs> if I be me, and I mean, I have a strange idea, let her be who she is, and then we merge together. <laughs> what a novel idea. I they, like, actually let each other be themselves, right? And, and, and church tends to be the, the counter of that, where yeah. it's like yeah. if you're in ministry, you have to be um, joined together at the hip. Um, I go places and speak. She goes play. It's cool when we get booked together to go, but typically we're in two different directions. Yeah, no, I completely can relate to that. You know, I do this podcast mostly by myself. Like Sean's been a guest on the show several times, but this is not Sean's forte. Sean's not going to ever be that person that's in front of a microphone, in front of a camera. That's just not him. And mm -hmm. I think because of my background, I saw you know, first of all, I didn't see women in a prominent leadership role. Right. So it was always the husband and then the wife was kind of tagging along and mm -hmm. doing all the admin stuff, you know. <laughs> and so to be able to be like, well, this is who I am. Like, this is what I enjoy. This is what God has called me to do and not putting that expectation on Sean to be this person that God didn't create him to be that way. And he's very supportive, but he's more like, go do your thing. You know, you got it. Go ahead. And I'll meet couples now that are like, oh, so do you and your husband coach? And I'm like, nope, it's just me. You know, mm -hmm. um, do you and your husband do the podcast? No, it's just me. And it's like, that's a strange idea. And I don't think it has to be strange. I think that we as married people need to learn how to celebrate each other's strengths, weaknesses, differences, exactly. and not feel like you were saying early, like that we we have to be, or Sharif, one of you said, like these Siamese twins joined at the hip <laughs> doing everything together all the time. And, and yeah. particularly when we look at what the New Testament says, and we love to say the Bible is clear. Well, the Bible is clear about certain aspects of marriage, but I believe that the Bible is in, intentionally silent about certain aspects of marriage because it should be left up to the individual and what vibes with you and your, your partner. So, you know, oh, I need a biblical relationship. Well, what does that even mean? You know, because the Bible is very, very quiet on how relationship dynamics work. The Bible has more shades of gray than we want to realize, mm. own, but there are many shades of gray. And that's where, you know, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in to lead and guide us into all truth, whatever that truth is for our particular marriage, our union, because our truth may not be the next person's truth. And um, the whole aura of the Bible is love. And so love says, do you, babe? We're going to do us. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I think the way that you model it again, it's like if you had to choose, if it had to be like this binary choice where where I could choose the to see a couple that is a Christian couple and they're doing everything together, but on the outward, you know, maybe outwardly they're presenting this loving, united front, but really behind closed doors, that's not the case. Versus a couple who maybe they're not together all the time, or maybe they don't have the same interests at all, but they're the real deal behind closed doors. I think we would all opt for option B. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that it's just really freeing for me to see couples like you two who, again, are not like feeling like you have to fit into some kind of mold where you can still be young, young at heart. You know, you mm-hmm. can still have fun. You can still like to you know, go out with your friends. Yeah, I had to add that at heart because, uh, yeah, no, biologically, we're not as young as we think we are. Right. But um, <laughs> but that you can go out and have a good time and be you and not feel like you're compromising your faith because yeah. you're just being who you are. And uh-huh. I think that as a, as a couple, that, that's just really inspiring to see that. Yeah, and it's important for us to walk out faith in very practical ways, right? Yeah. Because we get into this, oh, if we live by the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, and yes, but what does that really mean? Does that mean we're walking around with our eyes rolled in the back of our head or our marriages, we're on the altar together, you know, praying every day? I think that it's just walking out real life things in a faith that connects you to the wisdom and the favor and the power of God. That's what that to us, that's what that means. So if it means, you know, hanging out at the beach with some friends, we're going to do that. But in the midst of all of that, if we have a disagreement, we, we, after 13 and a half years, we pretty much, I mean, we don't go ham, but we do, <laughs> we're, we're okay with disagreeing because especially in front of new couples, because this is real relationship stuff. You're not going to be all daisies and, and unicorns every day. Right. And it takes right. faith to even get married because faith, <laughs> I mean, real faith in, in essence, the, it's, it's, uh, it's taking a risk. Yeah. You know, whenever you take two people, two backgrounds and everybody comes with their own baggage. So all of those things and merge them together, you're taking a risk, you know, and that's what faith Absolutely. is. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, walking out kind of the day to day. What have you guys been through? What would you say if you had to answer, like, what has been probably the biggest struggle of your marriage? What is something that's been a difficult season that you've had to walk through as a married couple? <laughs> How much time we got? No. Um, so so I, I was married for 11 years before I met Sharice and got married to her. So I have five children. So there's always this, excuse me, four children. There is always this this very interesting blend of, um, of, of personalities, expectations. And I said five because we just lost one, one of our daughters uh, a few weeks ago. Right. So it's still stuck yeah. in my head five. So pardon me for that. You still have five though. That's what yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest challenges we had, we had one of our, um, one of our kids get diagnosed with um, some mental health issues and then they moved in. So that was, I mean, that was challenging, a tough season. Yeah. Well, you know, Christianese, it's a, it was a challenging season. All hell broke mm-hmm. <laughs> Like All real talk? Yeah, broken. I was about to, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, everything, <laughs> it just was real fast. And um, it was, it almost made us draw lines and, and pit, up, pit us against one another. And, and just by the grace of God and, and some hard work on our part, we came out on the other side of it um, together and stronger. Mm, yeah, that was good. definitely. That Charisse, was you're coming into. No, go ahead. I was saying, yeah, that was a rough one. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, you're coming into a blended family of these five kids. 
who obviously saw their parents divorce and now here you are how has that been for you navigating what it means to be a bonus mom or do you what do you consider do you consider yourself a stepmom bonus mom like how has that been for you guys to blend your families well i mean initially of course it was it was rough and it was rough because of um the parental unit that they had before and then once they split everybody wanted to be the kids friends so, you know, there was no real structure, no discipline, no anything. Nobody wanted to be the bad parent. Yeah, nobody wanted to be the bad mm-hmm. parent. So then here I come as the bonus mom. Like, no, that is not how we talk. We're going to have some rules up in here. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, <laughs> so that was rough. But, I mean, they quickly learned, you know, who I am and how <laughs> I am <laughs> and what works with dad as opposed to me. You know, so, um, yeah, it was definitely challenging, but. I don't believe that, yeah, I don't believe that young people, especially kids, you know, I'm not talking about adult kids, I'm talking about kids, kids. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that they're wired to be your parents' friends, you know? And so mm-hmm. when we make them our friends, then we rob them of the of the opportunity to really learn from us and to grow as individuals and as children with that the boundaries that they need, because they need structure. They yeah. need structure and they need boundaries. And really, little people crave those things. We just think that they don't want them because we don't want them <laughs> you know but yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they need that so it was rough but we we navigated it yeah. and now Early, do you think that there was work. some kind of do you think there was any kind of guilt like in you like you were trying to be their friends because of the divorce or had you always kind of parented that way no um i i was the rigid um order structure person for the family and when when we divorced uh they were they were younger you know and um it it just hit me that i wasn't able to see i had never been separated from my kids for more than a couple of days so to move out of the house and to have to arrange uh time with them over a very short period of time i just started just you know, letting off the restraints because I'm thinking they're going through so much, they're suffering, their lives have been so unsettled and upset. Yeah, you know what? If you want that, you can have it. And what mm-hmm. started as as just a couple of di- different actions, it quickly grew into a lifestyle and it been an expectation. And then lately, you know, or, or by the time we got there, an entitlement to it. So anything that mm-hmm. stepped in the way of that was like. Oh, Dad, you said, and I'm like, you know what? We're restructuring the boundaries. I made a mistake and I had to apologize to them that I brought down the standard because I was concerned about how they were feeling instead of keeping that standard there so they would have something consistent to lean on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, got you. Well, we are focusing on Black love this month on the podcast. So let me ask you guys, do you think that there's there's a quote that I don't remember who the original author was, but it said, Black love is revolutionary. And do you think that there is a difference between being Black and married versus just being married? And if so, what are some of the differences that you've seen? I'll let you craft that first. Being Black? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said a whole lot, but just that right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that there, <laughs> I believe that there's there's a difference because I mean humanity goes through things we have challenges we have struggles but just being black in America is a is a different experience and so you come you come together already with um stereotypical things and just all kinds of just um maybe hurts and and all the things that you've experienced being black in America 
and then you bring two black people together and it's harder to be a black male in America. So you got to wrestle with that and wrestle with the things that people have put on him, you know, and what he looks like and how his hair is going to be. And then here I come, you know, I'm not the mild, meek black woman that people would like women to be, period. No. Oh, no, definitely not. (laughs) But anyway, so, you know, then you have that. (laughs) So there's that. But um, I think that that's, those are some of the different things that you have to deal with because you have to understand the different internal struggles that you bring to a marriage Mm -hmm. just by being black in America. And if I could jump in, Dana, I think I just did a webinar last week on how racism impacts mental health for African Americans. Mm -hmm. And it was just doing the research on that blew me away that there is so much racial trauma that we process and we think it's just one thing or, or maybe a person feels like, you know, I might be lazy or I need to be motivated. Some of that are the responses through the racial trauma that they're experiencing. But when we it's first black got fatigue, yeah, black fatigue. <laughs> when we first got married, we went to Ohio to spend the holiday with her family, sat around there till late one night. And we're heading back to a hotel, wasn't paying attention. I was probably doing about 50 in a 35 mile zone, got pulled over. And as we're sitting there, I was like, Cherise, put your hands on the dashboard. And she was like, why? I was like, just put your hands on the dashboard. And she was like, I don't have to put my hands on it. And just at that point, the person, the officer on the, on her side, um, well, was I looked walking in the to, mirror. Yeah, was walking towards her with the, with the rifle. And, oh, said, and for me, this, yeah, this goes with the territory. So just don't make any uh. sudden moves. And then as they're talking to me, she's like, uh-uh, don't talk to my husband. And I'm like, please. Please. This is not the time, Sharice. Yeah. Hold your peace. <laughs> well, first of, all, you know, first of all, when I saw those guns, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. But when he first said it, I was thinking, well, first of all, I know that that's something that people deal with. But as a female, I hadn't dealt with that before. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, we'll be okay. And I know this is not where we are. I mean, I grew up over there. So I'm like, oh, we'll be good. So I was thinking, I don't have to put my hands on the dashboard. But when I looked in the mirror and I was like, hmm, that would be a good idea. This ain't my, my first, yeah. ain't my first rodeo. And it was my first rodeo. Wow. So I quickly learned. You know, that's, that is such an interesting point because I think, you know, we talk about racism all the time. We talk about what is it like to be black in America all the time. But there is a difference between being a black male and then being a black female. Like, yeah. even though I know I have to teach my sons how to behave, you know, my sons are driving now. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to teach them how to behave when they get pulled over, if they get pulled over by a cop. But to be honest, like as a female, I had never really processed being afraid of being pulled over. Cause I'm like, oh, I could talk my way out of any and everything. I've talked my way out of so many tickets. And I don't think like, oh my goodness, when I'm being pulled over, I'm black. What am I going to do? It's like, I think first I'm a woman, like, let me use mm-hmm. my not womanly skills. Not that, you know what I'm saying? Not like that, <laughs> but like, you're, you're let me off. like smile. And yeah. Like, let me like smile and be like, Oh my goodness, officer. Like what? I was going, how fast? I, you know, like I did not know, sir. I was going, <laughs> but Sean has told me so many times, like, that this is that that's just how it is for like a black male and i remember when this was years ago he used to drive this red volvo that had super dark tint and technically it was probably illegal but we would see cars all the time with dark tint and like we never saw cars being pulled over that he got pulled over so many times Mm -hmm. because of that tint and the way that they would question him 
you know, like his, he had a stepfather. So um, I remember when we were teenagers, his uh, license was different than like the car registration name, you know, because his step, it was his stepfather's car. So him saying like he remembers as a teenager being pulled over and having the cops ask him like, well, why is your name different? You know, and are you sure you didn't steal this car? And so now that he's a grown man and he's driving this red car with his tent, he was like, you know, I'm, he would get so frustrated. And even though I'm black, it took me a minute to like be able to really empathize with him because that wasn't my experience. Like I said, I've gotten pulled over. I hate to admit this, but I've been pulled over probably four or five times and my record is just as squeaky clean it just is and uh, I mean I talk for a living so I'm like hey lord listen listen I mean I've told the cops one day I was like I'm on my way to church you know I was going fast because I'm trying to get to church I mean any and everything and they'll be like all right ma'am slow down you know yeah um but I think where it comes to our black men it is such a unique experience Mm -hmm. and and I'm not at all trying to um I want to be careful how I say this because I am completely in support of interracial relationships. Mm -hmm. But I think as a black woman, loving your black husband, is just different. different. You know, it's just different. You just come out of the box knowing certain things that don't have to be explained. Um, And you know what, Dana? I think um, on the flip side of that, one of the things that I recently, probably over the last three, four years, uh, began to experience about Sharice as she was in different spaces that were uh, had the advertisement of diversity, but not the actual work of inclusion, right? And mm-hmm. I saw That's that. That's a whole my, show. Yes. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right? <laughs> and it made me, <laughs> I've heard her say how she, concerned she was for me as her Black husband. I, I began to hurt for her as a Black woman because mm-hmm. I saw that I could go in a room and be aggressive and I'd be labeled ambitious. And then she'd go in a room and be in a leadership role and she'd be led, you know, labeled something that we won't say on this show. And it hurt mm-hmm. me because she's so smart. She's so um, daring and, and fearless that that's misunderstood and mislabeled as somehow toxic or angry or something like that. Yeah. But yeah. even even yeah. today, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like even today, when you said when the cop pulled us over, I was ready to go ham on him. Mm-hmm. Nope, I wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't. But that's Ooh. just kind of how. Well, you say, that's just the expectation because I'm I'm vocal, you know. Um, yeah. And sometimes I'm just saying stuff, and I, and like I'll sometimes <laughs> in a, in a setting I'll say, okay, so this is just how I talk. I'm not upset. I'm not aggressive. I'm not anything. This is just how I talk. I did get a little aggressive at full line when the cop was telling me to move when you didn't need to move and he was just being nasty. Yeah, I might have said something then. But getting stopped by the police, no, I, I don't pop off because I use my charisma to keep my records squeaky clean because I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything because Not I'm like wood. Yeah, because I'm thinking when I see them lights, I'm like, okay, what am I gonna say? That's right. So, yeah, What's I'm the thinking. story that we're about to tell. Yeah. Yeah, but people yeah, think that you know, know black I'm black with locks. I'm tall, so people automatically think when I say something, oh, it's da 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 da. And most of the time, it's not. I'm not even angry. I'm just talking the way I talk. That's just how I speak. Right. And I think it's those subconscious, like, you know, the, it's the so whenever we talk about race it's interesting because first of all i feel like i have to always make these disclaimers because i don't mm-hmm. want people to feel like i'm singling out 
you know, a certain race or I'm, I'm unappreciative of my experience in America or anything like that. It's like, but there are some things that being black and being married or being black in America, it is different and it's okay to talk about those things and to be honest about those things that my white friends don't have to worry about. Even if they go into a meeting and they're strong or they're opinionated, it's just a different kind of, I think for black women, we're always having to think of how does my facial expressions look so much, honestly, so that like, if I have a a meeting coming up that I know might include some tension, I will literally go stand in front of the mirror and I will practice what I'm going to say and look at what my face looks like, because I don't (laughs) want to come across as what somebody might perceive me to be just because of the color of my skin. And I don't know. Go ahead. I was saying, here's the crazy part, Dana. You do all of that, and then there's still some people that are going to feel like you were, you yeah. were nasty, or you were mean, right. or you were, and you're like, oh, that wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, we can only control what we can control, but I do think that there is um, a certain level of comfort, you know, like when all the things that were happening, and I hate to say like when we went through the racial injustices, because they've always been here, right? But it's like the most recent uprising um, in 2020, when we went through all of that, I think there was something that like Sean and I would have conversations and then there would be sometimes we didn't even have to have conversations. We just understood. I understood how he felt. He understood how I felt. So there was this deep level of comfort mm-hmm. that we could offer one another because we just we just know. It's like the unspoken things. You just know how each other's feeling. You know the fears. We're thinking about our children and you know the what kind of world are our kids growing up in. Right. And I think that that's something that, you know, again, in the Black family, like, for example, the way I grew up, I asked my mom, it wasn't that my mom was like ashamed of our race, but my mother didn't really do a whole lot of teaching, like, you know, be black and proud. You know, this is how I grew up, at least. It was more like, get your education, you know, love everybody, be around everybody. You know, that's just kind of how my mom was. And so a lot of things that I learned about racism and racism in our country and the history, the real history of this country, I learned as an adult. And Mm. I think part of it, is potentially because like we've got one of our neighbors who's Mexican and I know I've heard from lots of Hispanics that their families didn't teach them their native language, you know? And that always baffled me. I'm like, why wouldn't you teach your child? Like if you speak Spanish, why wouldn't you teach your children Spanish? But it's that whole mindset that like, we don't, I guess they're thinking, we don't want to cripple you. We want you to be able to come into this country and just acclimate and just be you without the baggage of your heritage. And I really believe that that's kind of where my mom was coming from. Like, she didn't want us to, you know, use our blackness as an excuse. She didn't want it to cripple us. And so, therefore, she didn't really focus on it a lot. But what that did for me growing up in mostly white spaces, I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a firm mm-hmm. grip on who I was as a black woman because nobody was really teaching me that. I was different in everywhere, every space that I was in. And so it took a lot of undoing to get to where I'm at today. And I'm still in process as we all are. But how would you say like for parents, let's talk about like black parents who are raising obviously black kids. How can they raise their kids to be proud of who they are without um, teaching their children to segregate because of who they are? I think that it, it starts with, like you said, that open conversation and we're living in a time now where those conversations happen more often, mm-hmm. right? In fact, mm-hmm. there we're almost, if you weren't having them three years ago, you had to start having them, right? 
And, and I think in order for them, to, for us to really communicate that is we've got to be secure and, and understanding of who we are and, and where we come from, our lineage and all that, all that good stuff. And just teach them that being authentic means that I can show up exactly who I am and I don't have to assimilate. I don't have to feel that I have to take anything down. Um, you mentioned how your parents raised you. My mom uh, raised us to always act our best. You know, you've got to be three times better. And, mm -hmm. and, and so we found ourselves shape-shifting, right? Depending mm -hmm. on whatever space mm -hmm. we're in. So I think that we, right. we're living in a time where we're, we're more free to give our kids the, the opportunity to be authentic. Yeah, I think growing up, we had to master code switching. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, mm. just to be in different spaces. You know, even, I guess not even growing up, even being adults, when we first started um, our business, we had to master that too. We had to know how to code switch because we were speaking to different audiences. I think today it's 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 slightly slightly easier for parents because kids are now being pushed in in certain arenas to be themselves. Like back when we even when we were in Philly, just as as early as maybe twelve years ago, um, me with my hair a lot. I couldn't have started my locks working in the capacity that I was working in corporate America because. That wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been acceptable. But today, um, I mean, and there's still areas where arenas where it's not acceptable, but it's it's more widely accepted now than it was back then. So in teaching our kids, um, you can teach your kids to love themselves. First of all, you can model it, but you can teach your kids to love themselves. But then at the same time, you got to teach them to be careful in certain spaces because that's just the life that we live in, the world that we live in today. So it's a uh, it's not as easy as it sounds because we had that with our son. Um, like when he would want to go to work, he worked probably about five minutes walking, maybe eight minutes walking from where we live. And he would want to have his AirPods in. And so the mm -hmm. rule was you cannot walk to work and walk home with your AirPods in. You can't walk to work, walk home with that hoodie on. Um, and mm -hmm. is that fair? No, it may not be fair, but wisdom says we want our son to come home and to come home safe because, he might pop off if somebody <laughs> says the wrong thing, you know, just because he's a young black male who's again, frustrated with the conditions of America for him. So that was, um, that was always a challenge. Like, Hey, let me see where are your AirPods. You'd have to ask where are the AirPods because we know he would sneak them out <laughs> and he would be, right. he would have them on, you know? So. Yeah. And it is, like you said, it's just the nature of, 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 the the state of our country i know with our boys when they were a little bit younger um i'm thinking about my third son Corey. he was um with some friends in our neighborhood we live in a probably 95 percent white neighborhood and him and his friends who were all white they were running around playing ding dong ditch with water guns and mm -hmm. innocent right like they're just little kids like playing and all of our neighbors know each other and we do have a really fantastic neighborhood for the most part obviously there's those those crazies but you know but i had to tell him like Corey, you cannot do that i'm sorry you are not allowed and i was like indignant i was upset and i and i actually yeah. uh surprised myself how upset i was and he was like probably six seven at the time and he was like he had no idea like why i was so upset and i had to explain to him at that young age Corey. You, in your mind, this is just an innocent thing, but you are a little black boy running around here with a water gun in your hand, ringing people's doorbells and running away. No, we're not doing that. Well, my friends right. are doing it. I know your friends are doing it, but you cannot do that. 
you know? And yep. it like going through that conversation with him, I was just like, God, you know, this, I know none of my white friends, no, none of my white friends are telling their kids yep. this. They don't have to worry about this, you know? And so I think being a black parent, like it just comes with the territory that we do have to equip our kids to not be ashamed of who they are and not to hide who they are, but to be wise, you know, and to understand that because of the world that we live in, there are unfortunately some things that are just not going to work for you. They might work for this kid, but they're just not going to work for you. Yeah. Like we would have to tell our son, you know, we were in a predominantly um, white uh, (laughs) religious facility. And so of course that means that if he's hanging out with me, all of his little friends are white. You know, very few black mm-hmm. people there. And we would have to say, okay, so when you go such and such, remember, you're black. You can't do everything that they can do. And some of the practical jokes and stuff that they did just in fun because they just were young yeah. people, you know, he couldn't do it. Because if something happened and somebody stopped y'all, r- trust and believe, dude, you won't be you won't be getting off scot-free because you don't look like right. what, right. you know, your friends look like. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, you know, we're managing this as best as we can. I think we're doing it with grace. I think the fact that we're Christians, you know, we're teaching our children how to how to live in this world, how not to become bitter, how not to become cynical, um, but to be wise, you know, and the way that, again, we kind of started this episode with the way that you model your marriage and the way that you model your family. And um, so I just appreciate you guys. And I know that you guys have a business early. I would love for you to tell our listeners about how they can find out about you um, and how people can get in touch with you. I love the workshop that you talked about. So if you're, I don't know if what you have coming up, but just how can people find out more about you and what you have going on? Sure. The best way would be to go to our website, which is earlyjacksoncoaching.com. Yes, folks, it's early, just like early in the morning, earlyjacksoncoaching.com. And of course, on um, Instagram, we tend to post a ton of different things. Um, my handle is I am Early Jackson and I am power. Like I am power. I underscore M power. That's my Instagram handle. All right. So we'll make sure that we link to both of your Instagrams and your website and the show notes of this podcast. So friends, thank you so much for being here today. This has been an incredible conversation. These are the conversations that we have anyway. So we just allowed our listeners to peek in on a conversation with us today. So thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you. you for Thanks us. for having us. All right, friends. Well, there you have it. A little behind the scenes peek at what it is like being Black and married in America. And obviously, you guys, I've said this on other shows. I want to say this again. These are generalizations. So we are certainly not saying that every Black marriage goes through the same things, that every Black man sees life the same, every Black woman experiences life the same. We know that there are differences, but I have really enjoyed just taking time in the month of February to celebrate Black love, to talk to Black married people, and to find out what are some of the nuances in their relationship. So thank you so much, Early and Sharice, for being guests on the show today. As he mentioned, you can find out more about Early at earlyjacksoncoaching.com. I will have their Instagram handles and website and all of that linked in the show notes of this podcast. So you can simply head over to realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 133, and you can learn more about the Jacksons. So you guys, this concludes our Black Love Month 
we might do something similar, not just for Black History Month, but we might do some more of these types of episodes throughout the year. So if you want more, make sure to let me know that you want more. And you guys, I love hearing from you. I love to hear how the podcast is encouraging, inspiring, maybe even challenging you in some areas of your life. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram at Mrs. Dana Shea. That's M-R-S-D-A-N-A-C-H-E. Or of course, you can visit me on my website, realrelationshiptalk.com. Well, that wraps it up for our show today, you guys, as we end every episode in saying a good relationship is not one that works. A good relationship is one where you put in the work. Let's get to work, my friends. I'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Real Relationship Talk with Dana Shea. Find the show notes, helpful articles, and more relationship tips at realrelationshiptalk.com. Enjoying the show? Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode. Hello, hello. Quinice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's Word one verse at a time to explore His will for your life and desire to draw closer to Him? If that sounds like you, I'd love to invite you to head over to lifeaudio.com and search your daily Bible verse to tune in and subscribe for daily inspiration, life application, and spiritual transformation through the in-depth exploration of God's Word.